Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Mosquera, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, Santos and the sidekick with you. Another tough loss for ETSU football. They fell to Sanford Bulldogs 24-17. We'll recap that game. We'll get final thoughts from head coach Randy Sanders on that. Pros versus Jays. And last but not least, very bad bold predictions for me. Mike Gallagher gets lucky on one, I believe. One, right? Did you get one? I got one. And it's probably the best one of the year. It was, opinion. actually. I'll give you that. Thank that you. was a spectacular call. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But we might as well jump right into it and... My first thoughts on the Sanford game, I don't know I've seen any other game where a defense had to do so little to get three turnovers. <laughs> I mean, there was uh, an interception on the on the first drive that um, looking back at it, uh, watching, I actually watched the game before we went on air today, uh, as soon as I got in uh, this morning, just to make sure I kind of remembered everything the way I did. And I knew the ball was behind uh Huzzy, but I didn't realize it was that far behind when you're watching it live in the in the booth, and we did not have a monitor for replay. So uh, Trey just with really a, a throw he liked to have back, and then two fumbles that are just confusing. Pitch a little high, but Holmes has to come down with that. And honestly, the last fumble snap I think was to the left of Trey Mitchell. Probably could have been better, could have been caught, and then instead of just falling on it to make a third and whatever, he he's trying to make a play. Yeah and ends up, and I don't know if it's just the conditions or you can tell he kind of looked up to see where the rush was, but ends up kicking the football and then ETSU turns over three times. But it's another game where four or five plays, Mike, ETSU opportunities to make, probably win the game, but just the the way it's happened this year, they've not been able to get out of the funk. Seems like one's never going to go our way, right? But to be fair, last year it seemed like one would never go against us, and so the overarching theme of the season so far is what we were able to get last year, we're not able to get this year. Things that broke our way last year aren't breaking our way this year. And Coach Sanders will talk about it. You'll, you'll hear the players talk about it too. But he'll also talk about guys doing their job, it not being luck. And we're going to hear from Coach Sanders in segment number two. But you look at the areas that we talked about on Friday where the game could change. You know, ETSU rushing yardage-wise. Uh, Sanford was second to last in the league in giving up rushing yards. 275 per game. The Bucks that has to be their calling card on offense to be effective considering the quarterback issues that they've had. And the two weapons they have in the backfield with Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors, 93 rushing yards. You know, outrushed by Sanford, 194 to 93. What about penalties? We talked about ETSU being the worst in the league in penalties, Sanford being the best in the league, and we'll get to that whole kerfuffle of my bold prediction in the final segment, but six penalties for 63 yards ETSU had, and Sanford wasn't penalized the entire day. And so the trend continued. It's definitely not a mirage at this point. It seems like a factual certainty that ETSU is going to be penalized a lot, and Sanford is not going to be third downs. You know, we talked about Sanford being worst in the league in third downs. 47% of third downs teams were converting on against Sanford, while ETSU, of course, last in the league in converting third downs at 33%. And ETSU was only able to convert 5 of 13. Sanford converted 8 of 17. So you look at all of the places where this game was going to be decided. Yes, there are four or five plays that could have gone ETSU's way. Really basic, usual, not having to go too above and beyond type plays that, honestly, 99 times out of 100, the Bucks probably make. You know, if it's a different day and it's a dry day, you know, if it doesn't rain more torrentially on the final drive than it had the entire afternoon, things are probably okay with that snap. And at the very worst, Trey Mitchell probably is able to fall on it and it doesn't squirt away from him. He doesn't kick it and Sanford gets it back. So, yes, a lot of breaks, not going ETSU's way, but major categories where this game was going to be decided seem to all go to Sanford. 
drop passes yet again. Again, uh, I mean, just left and right. And again, there were a couple balls. I'm sure Trey wish uh, he had back, but there were the play action to Richburg, and, and I, I think I joked on the way. Uh, and again, we had a, a, a fan, a, a donor, B.J. Smith, who won. And God bless people for for giving money for this. But the voice of the Bucks experience, and uh, and B.J. had a, we had a great time. But I had told him on the van ride, I was like, well, the good thing is I've been told Richburg's going to play a lot more. And I told P.J. Smith, this is the one guy I know 100% of the time is going to catch the football. And so I blame me because there is a broadcaster's jinx. It exists. I I take that for the team to the Sandos and sidekick followers. That that is my bad. But that drop itself seemed to curtail a lot of things that happened in the first half. Now, that's some bad. Let's talk about good for a sec because I don't want to overlook a lot of positives in the game. Quay Holmes was an animal. I mean an animal. I, I don't have a stat on yards after contact, but my goodness, how many times was he met sort of at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage, and just continued to go? Receivers in open space did a good job when they did catch the football to either make men miss or get extra yards, whether it was Huzzy, Coffee, Atkins. So I, even Holmes catching the football as well. So I thought that was tremendous. And then just pure defensive numbers again. I mean, holding a team, you know, well under 150 yards of what they normally average, holding them 15, 16 points under what they normally score on their home field with a uh, uh, a plus two turnover margin, including all, I believe all three were inside ETSU's territory. Two were inside ETSU's 30. One was inside the red zone. And, and then getting their first red zone uh, takeaway of this season. I mean, there were a ton of things, again, to, to look at and go, holy cow, what, what a – Defensive effort, what an unbelievable job for the most part for ETSU's offense. It just seems like when they have to make a play to keep sort of a string of momentum going, they're just not able to do it, whether that's a penalty on a play on Spagnoletti's run, whether you're talking about a uh, drop passes. Uh, there was a defensive penalty that really cost each, uh, twice. There were two offsides, I thought, that, that were very bad for ETSU that – allowed Sanford to to continue a drive and then of course the uh, uh targeting targeting, Let's targeting wait to talk call. about that until the second now, segment because Randy will. Sanders has his thoughts on that too and I certainly do I think you do as well and it was bandied about on Twitter also I think fans had lots of opinions regarding that call and um, want to talk about that in depth but let's stick with the positives because for me the biggest one and this is something we've harped on really the last couple of weeks because it's just impossible to ignore ETSU coming into the game had given up scores in the red zone 23 of 24 times you get two red zone stops and especially early to get that interception I mean an excellent play from Jeremy Lewis and we talk about you know quote-unquote lock and things breaking your way perhaps a little bit of a fortunate break a rare one this year for the box where Jeremy Lewis falling over hey maybe he didn't know what he was doing maybe he has great soccer skills and should be on the pitch for ETSU men's soccer when he's not with football but he kicks it up in the air and of course the man that seems to be around the ball the entire year this season, Artavia Smith leading the team in tackles, four interceptions of the five that the Bucks have. He has the interception there. That was a big moment in the game. The defense has done an excellent job over the first eight weeks of when, because we talked about all of the early scores, that was another area where things unfortunately did not get better. And again, I want to stick with the positives, but once again, no first quarter points. Granted, you, get, you did get some early in the second quarter, but once again, down going into the second. Wasn't a great start, but the defense, when it's looked like teams would be able to build a 10-point lead, 17-point lead, 14-point lead, whatever the case may have been, the defense early in the second quarter, late in the first quarter, whenever that moment was, it seems like three or four times now this season they've either gotten a big turnover or they've been able to stiffen and get the Bucks the ball back, gotten good field position, made a play on even special teams. It's incredible what those units have been able to do, specifically the defense, and once again they came up big. Huge. I mean, I thought that there was one – kick return I could think about where a block was missed but on almost all special teams I guess the one right after ETSU tied it was 17 you could look at that special teams and go somebody got out of their lane because Sanford ended up getting about a 40 yard return started started that drive on the 46 yard line of course that drive ended with a couple of penalties and 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 a touchdown for Sanford to take the 24-17 lead and credit Sanford I thought a mistake not trying to kick the field goal to go up two scores they end up a beautiful coffin corner kick put the Bucks at the five again I thought Trey Mitchell may be the best throw of his career 55 yards against the wind driving rainstorm gave Keith Coffey a chance and going back and looking at the play 
and and it did kind of go through the hands of coffee but you actually if you watch it again coffee hit another gear to try to make up about 10 yards at the very end i didn't know he had that kind of top end speed because as as you start to watch it and live it was hard to see because i'm, I'm actually you know matt williams watching down the field i'm usually watching the quarterback and so when trey let it go and i kind of glanced down and i thought he over through uh, over through Keith which is why if you kind of hear the call you know there there's that uh a kind of a lull and then of course you know I hit the the high pitch voice at some point in time but as it was going I thought well there's no way he's going to get that and then going back and watching it Keith did an unbelievable job to give himself a shot for a full layout to try to catch it but driving rain everything else it would have been a tough play but last year that's probably a play somehow ETSU makes this year it's not yeah, no question. I, I mean, you look across the Southern Conference and things are very, um, I think, even spread out. You know, there's tons of parity. And I tend to look at conferences, and this is just me, I think. I, this is not the prevailing opinion, it doesn't seem like, from certainly those that decide who gets into the playoffs and such. But when you have teams across the league from really one through eight, I guess, I don't know if I'd include Western Carolina this year, though. I mean, they put up a decent effort this past weekend as well. Um, all the teams just seem a little bit better. You know, I don't think the teams have gotten worse. I just think all the teams seem a little bit better. So being one of three to share the conference title last year and now coming into this year, and you've even got six, seven, eight, and, and include the Bucks in that, that are extremely difficult on a week-by-week basis. I mean, look at it now. ETSU's one in four in one-score games. Uh, it, it's absolutely incredible how this season has unfolded in – like the bizarro world of football versus last year you know I mean it's almost like the exact same things playing out except everything is the opposite you know the old Seinfeld reference the bizarro world and so anyway point being uh, or Superman I suppose you could use that too uh Jerry big Superman fan anyway point being uh yes everything is not working out the way we would think but teams I think are a little bit better as coach Sanders says they're a little bit more prepared um you look at even stats from last year to this season and, you know, I look at Jacob Saylor's from last year, uh, 7.2 yards per carry. I mean, that is simply incredible, right? You're not going to be able to keep that up throughout your entire career. And he also is averaging 9.5 yards per catch. It's the little things that add up. He's got 5.7 yards per carry this year, 7.4 yards per catch, you know, and things like that where you're not getting the extra couple of yards. You're not busting the big play that can change a game in order to change your stats a yard or a yard and a half, you know, more north in terms of yards per carry. Um, obviously, you know, quarterback, but you look at, <laughs> it is interesting. You look at quarterback from last year to this year, uh, Austin Herrick, 118.6 efficiency, 59% completion rate, six touchdowns, eight interceptions. Trey Mitchell this year, 58% completion rate, better TD to interception ratio, eight to five, 1,332 yards. Um, 116.7 efficiency. I mean, those are darn near exact same stat lines. So just blaming a Trey Mitchell, uh, just blaming the pass catchers, it just doesn't work that way. And again, we'll talk more about the targeting. And really, I think that was a big moment in the game. If we talk about things that sealed it up, you know, you've got a third down, fourth down coming up, the targeting, then another personal foul, first and goal on the three, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that to me was the big sequence. And it does seem like, to your point about there being four or five plays, it seems like there's one sequence every game where if it would have gone differently, the result would have been different. And and that's the story of it. And and that's the the fine line between winning and losing. The one thing I think I can guarantee, and I don't give many guarantees, but the last two games of the Citadel have come down to one possession late in the game. Citadel has played more tight games than ETSU, which is hard to believe over the last two seasons so i'm just going to go on a limb and say one possession game coming down the last second somebody's going to win the game so at homecoming i think you'll at least be entertained if you make it to the game one other thing uh jay fryerson first career catch i also love jawan martin's stat line this year in the receiving game two catches two touchdowns that's all he does that's all he needs ratio baby i love that (laughs) ratio 100 percent. get him the ball all right let's hear from head coach randy sanders his thoughts on the game against Stanford bulldogs after this time out to your word from santo's sidekick on the bucket air sports network over the last 70 years johnson city power board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
Good Halloween music here in this late October. Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, Sandos and the Sidekick. Don't forget to subscribe to the RSS feed. You can do that, and every time we update the show, you can get it automatically downloaded to your phone, tablet, or device that you would like, or at least get an update that you can listen to the new episode of Sandos and the Sidekick. That's on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Of course, you follow us on Twitter. You can get an update or Facebook as well. All right, let's take a look at uh, Soundbite Training Sanders. Go. This is probably the angriest I have been after a game. No question about that. I've, I've been disappointed. I've been sick. I've felt bad. But this one uh, wasn't pleased with everything I saw out there today. we we got to have way better focus, way better attention to detail, way better desire to get things done. Probably the most disappointing thing to me was – Whenever you lack that much focus, there's a lack of desire in there somewhere to just go compete and win the game. I was disappointed that we didn't have a little more of that from from summer guys. Did you think there was any one area he's discussing there? One area, I think it's a little bit of culmination of probably everything from built up over time as well. I kind of felt like that bite was not as specific to the game, but I do think... And, and I'm just guessing, I, I would love uh, when his press conference come around, I, I doubt he'll elaborate, but just curious if he's, last year it was all about senior leadership. This year the senior leadership's more quiet, they're not as vocal, and I don't know if that's particularly what he's upset about. I mean, he kept talking about lack of focus. It's, but I, I kind of, and I don't know if you're going to run the bites, you can tell me, if, if, but when I asked him about sort of the young guys playing, I don't know if you have it. I don't think I have it. Okay, good. So you don't have it. So, and he said, well, I expect – this is where I think he thinks – he said, I expect that. If if a guy's playing his first collegiate game and and he holds, okay, it's his first game in the big stage. I get that. But we got guys playing 30 games, 40 games. That's where – so I'm thinking a little bit on the the, the juniors and seniors, maybe more seniors than juniors, but more of the guys that's kind of been there around that the focus and the details there for those guys – are I think what's disappointing him and sometimes it's hard and this is unspoken nobody's really talked about but you win a championship last year you know you're not going to win one now you know you're not going to go to the playoffs sometimes it's hard to regress but you look back a few years ago and you're going well goodness gracious you weren't even in ball games like a couple years ago if you didn't play at home you weren't even in a football game and so now you're like okay not only are you in football games but if you guys focus for four or five more plays you're winning games, and and you can still end the year strong. Whether you're a senior and you want to end on a, a positive note, or whether you're a you know a, a junior, a redshirt sophomore, sophomore, some of these freshmen get in action. You know you need to stake your claim for hey, you know this is going to be my time to end the year well this year, so that I've got a, a decent shot at earning a lot of playing time the next year. Because you got to know the whole point of recruiting is to recruit better than what you got. I mean that's what every coach says, right? It's, I mean. We're trying to recruit better players than we have already, and that's how it continues to work and go. And I think talent-wise, in a lot of positions, it's very easy to see either it's the same players have gotten bigger, stronger, faster, or some new players that honestly have so much upside that in a couple of years is going to be real exciting to watch. The problem is we're living right now, and, and you need to get those wins and play better now. I guess three things, not to flood the conversation here with info and opinions, but – Firstly, that's very disconcerting to hear in that bite because that means that Coach thinks some guys gave up. And that is the one thing he hasn't said this year, and I'm going to hope that he elaborates a little bit more on the anger part of it and thinking back on the game. And you know how it is when we talk about it every week. Right after the game, very emotional. You know, He's going to be calmed down at this point a couple days later, and we'll have some perspective on what exactly happened. And maybe he will be comfortable enough to say, I'm not – thinking he's going to call out anybody specific which you're not looking for right I'm just looking for areas and where that emotion was coming from um, and generalities would even be fine because it took it from really like the highest level possible thing I'm hoping he just like narrows it down a little bit to give us an idea of where that was coming from and um, how it can be rectified uh, so very disconcerting to hear I think you hit on the main point and if guys did remember last year of course there are guys back we talked about the 59 out of 105 in the squad or freshmen or redshirt freshmen so there's a lot of new people but there's a lot of contributors that are back from that team that remember the championship and probably how it felt and how awesome it was to get to the playoffs and look at the stats and the standings and saw last week when they lost that game to Chattanooga that playoffs really 100% out of the question 
right? So you knew probably pretty early on that the conference championship wasn't going to happen. We were hanging on to hope that if they could win the Chattanooga game, go five and three, playoffs may still be possible. But probably the game before that, that being the Wofford game, you knew that a conference championship was out. Then you knew that the playoffs were out after last week. And so what is there left to play for this week, you know, against Sanford? If you're a player and you don't have maybe that advanced of a thought process about how important these games are for you, you know, whether it be young guys or some guys that have been back, um, maybe you don't have the foresight to say, boy, I better go out and compete because minutes could be on the line next year or because I've got scouts watching me or whatever the case may be. Maybe you are just looking at those stats and standings and saying, well, that's it. I hope that's not the case, but I certainly think you hit on a good point because the timing of it wouldn't be totally surprising to me considering the playoffs after last week were done. Finally, home versus away. We do have to remember that 14 of the first 15, the first three seasons of this program before last year, you lost 14 of your first 15 away matches. You know, I mean, it, it was not pretty. And to go and win three on the road last year, regardless of how you won them, that's a pretty substantial thing. Now this year, you're back down to winless on the road. You're 0-4 with losses to Appalachian State. No shame in that. Furman, no shame in that. Chattanooga right now, no shame in that. And Sanford, who's a team that I think with that win have kind of hung on to an outside shot at the playoffs and also the Southern Conference Championship. Very outside, no doubt. I don't think they're going to get it done, but it's an outside shot. So remembering where we came from, remembering how recently those away losses and some of the struggles were, and not letting last year completely wash our minds with this grandiose vision that every year is going to be a title. It's not. Is every year going to be winless in the conference? No. There's a middle ground, but ETSU has lived on the extremes these past two years. Last year, probably got more than they deserved. Well, the team deserved a ton. It probably deserved better than it got. But should they have won all those games? Probably not. This year, they deserve a lot better. They're not an 0-5 conference team. I mean, they probably should be 2-3, and 3-2 if you split everything down the middle. That's not how it goes. Though. And, and they've played better at home. And I think if you looked at the teams they played on the road, I mean, you look at Furman, you look at Chat, you look at Sanford, those are generally three teams near the top of the standings, right? And so the road tests this year were greater than I think last year. And vice versa, next year's schedule will be a little bit um, friendlier in the league because you do get those teams, plus Western Carolina at home, you got to go on the road to a couple, you know, VMI, which again, VMI's been tough. But and it is a good point about gonna, last year, at VMI, at Citadel, at Wofford, at Mercer, maybe save Wofford, but those other three are very winnable. And and traditionally, they, they are, and that, that doesn't mean anything. But I think when you look at where the last several years where everybody's been in the standings, you would say this year's road schedule, and because each issue's had some road woes, you could see that that would be an issue. But, you know, I mean, and then you're going to have to go to Austin P, right? Um, uh, that's the return game. And I think Georgia, right? Georgia's on the schedule. So, obviously, you, you know, uh, it's – yeah, that's right. I, would, I agree with you, Rex. Look at that. Calling it right now. Mike Gallagher <laughs> on uh, – was that, 1028? Here we go. 1028, I win 19, bold predictions baby. for all of next Ever, year if I get Ever. Right. I won't even – I'll let you pick every time. <laughs> Bonus 20 points just for picking if you get that one right. We had some penalties and – the turnover early we got to throw it a little better but still the ball goes off both hands come on give me a break we got to throw the ball better but we definitely got to catch it better you know and then the fumble at the end i watching the coverage I, I don't even know if it was a bad snap i heard the snap wasn't perfect but it wasn't that bad but if we got to snap it better and we got to catch the snap it, it's as simple as that and i think you know, as simple as that is about the best way to put it. And I think you were with Randy on that soundbite, at least when you first saw the play on the call. Yeah, Will has he's got to catch that. They showed the replay, and I know you didn't have all the replays in the booth uh, when you're at Sanford, but here in the studio we've got the game on while we're doing the radio broadcast, and the first replay was high end zone behind Will Huzzy, um, significantly behind him, and it's a six, seven-yard throw. Now, could he have made the catch? Sure. But if you're going to assess where you need to be better, whether it's throwing it or catching it, I'd probably say it's 80-20 there. Trey Mitchell has got to – and maybe he was trying to avoid – you know, maybe there was a lane there. Maybe the passing lane wasn't right to Will Huzzy. And I think Coach Sanders often speaks from quarterback's terms, right? So, you know, coming from that background, I don't blame him. Um, but I thought that Huzzy didn't have much of a shot to make that play, specifically, again, on a wet day. And I know both teams are playing on the same field and in the same conditions and all these things, but it did – and I'm going to ask – coach this today just to hopefully lighten the mood a little bit I don't know if he'll be in the mood but it kind of seemed like the gods were against the Bucks that day 
because now Sanford, of course, had helped ground their offense too, those conditions. But right when ETSU needed to go down the field and score, they convert a couple of third downs, and you said it on the broadcast. It was either you, Matt Wilson, or Robert Harper. Hey, it's raining harder than it's raining the entire day. And I sit back and I'm just like, of course it is. You know, of course. So I think a lot of the mistakes were weather-driven. Now, who handled that weather better? Probably Sanford, right? Because there were a lot of the Quay Holmes pitch. Probably got to catch it. The Trey Mitchell snap, probably got to catch it. The Will Huzzy over the middle, I don't know if he necessarily probably got to catch it, but it's a play that if it was a different day, I don't think ends the same way. That's why I think today is is a better read and a coach shows a better read because sometimes you get coaches, and he's trying to, you know, you get coaches right then in the game. Same thing with Coach Forbes. There's a lot of times right after the game, and I'm sure when you talk coaches, though, right as you try to decompress and get everything, you know, hey, I've got to – remember everything that happened from the early first quarter to the last play you know what went on and as coach sanders saying like in football it's much more difficult to watch everything because the field's so big right you know basketball at least it, it's kind of compact and everything you may be looking at something else you may be turning around talking to coach i know coach forbes said hey i was around talking to the bench it was a turnover i'm not really sure what happened but there's a lot of times coach sanders like, watching coverage so didn't see yeah the same thing right. so i i think that a lot of that was his answers are a little more different when he gets back to watch the tape. My initial thought was, man, Huzzy got to make the play. And, again, I just admitted I went and watched it. Right. Huzzy did a tremendous job, really, to contort his body to reach back across to get both hands on it. Now, we probably wish that Huzzy wouldn't have touched it at all. It, it may have just <laughs> right. fell for an incomplete, but you, nobody thinks that way. You're thinking, hey, let's make a play. And so, uh, you know, the two pitches and or the pitch and the snap, I mean, I think those are – I mean, you, got, you definitely got to make those. I mean, those are easy plays that you do not turn the ball over uh, and you just hang on to it. Things you have, now ETSU managed to not give up points on those, which I think is amazing. All the turnovers ETSU's had, only 14 points off turnovers. Incredible I mean, again, job the, the defense, defense yeah. has done a lot. But uh, I think Coach just went to simple. Instead of breaking it down very complex, it's very simple. We got to catch it better. We got to throw it better. We got to block better. I mean, it's just simple little things. It's not anything complex. And there are times where there are things like that that schematically and things are. I mean, I think back to even he didn't even touch on it, but you're second and goal at the one, and you have a couple missed blocks. I mean, just flat out, one's a whiff uh, on the second and goal play. And then another one, you know, not a very good job of blocking up in which that play was designed not to be a quick play, but to roll out right and throw back left and just didn't have the time to do it. And, and by the time Mitchell turned around, somebody's in his face, he didn't even have time to throw it away because that play's designed to throw back to Nate Atkins the other way. And sometimes I think that that's one advantage I have where I go watch Thursday practice. I've seen that worked on the goal line, so I knew what was coming there. And they've been sitting on it for a while. But I do like that there were different looks that he gave. You know, the reverse, haven't seen that. Uh, there's been a couple little pass plays that, that, that they kind of wrinkled combinations. Well, and he said that he's kind of trying to go back and do everything he can, and he's run through a lot of his playbook. You remember this from last week, and that he's trying to now just design new stuff, like keep it fresh and try and spark this offense any way he can. So it's no easy task what he's doing coming up with those plays. No, I, I think he's just trying to, you know, to do what he can uh, to, to because of the a little bit of lack of playmaking ability. And so he's trying to design stuff. It's sort of like one time I remember fans yelling at Coach Forbes about need to run better plays, and he turned around and actually yelled back to the stands, which you probably shouldn't do. And he's like, I ran two plays to get one-foot looks. I can't do more than that. <laughs> like, at some point, somebody's got to dunk it or hit a layup. Like, I, I, if I get you the ball a foot or two feet away from the hoop, that's my job. If Coach Sanders runs a design play where a guy's running wide open you know, on the sideline or middle of the field, and you either miss the throw or you don't catch the football, or better yet, a couple of run plays where a guy either misses the hole or slips and falls or whatever it is. I mean, you can only do so much schematically. At some point, people just have to make plays. You did hit on a key sequence we didn't really talk about in that fourth quarter, and maybe this is another with the Nasir player targeting that you can look back on and say, yikes, you get this play or you get this conversion, or you just do this thing different, and the game's complexion kind of changes. You roll down the field, 15 plays, 62 yards, over nearly eight minutes, spanning the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter, and you got Quay Holmes for seven, Quay Holmes for three. You get down to the one-yard line, and this is all after uh, it was the pass from Mitchell to Holmes in the first play of the fourth quarter, and then the 21-yard completion from Mitchell to Coffey to get down to the 14. So you're in the red zone get a couple more gains second and goal on the one and you lose two with quay and then 
a sack of Trey Mitchell, and all of a sudden you're having to kick a 30-yard field goal. So, um, boy, second to go on the one with Quay Holmes. You know, I, that's, again, 99 times out of 100, or certainly nine times out of 10, you know, you're in the end zone there. But that, instead of being able to take the lead, ended up being 17-17 to 17, and just game flow, feeling, rhythm, game pressure, um, clock pressure, all those things that, you know, coaches like to talk about. Uh, totally different when you're tied. You know, it would have been 21-17 instead, 17-17. to And so you're Sanford, and you don't have any of the, the built-in emotion and feeling that comes with being down at home. Yeah, and that's – I think when you deal with teenagers, and, and this year there's more teenagers than not, right? You've got more 18-, 19-year-old. Maybe now the season started some 20-year-olds, but this is – you don't have that experience, and you're on the road, and you're playing from behind. I just think that's sometimes uh, – too much to overcome although you know you you can look at it and go ah it happens everywhere in the country so I know, but i still think when you deal with young folks the more you can play ahead it just changes everything you can play ahead you can do some things differently and etsu's not far away they they weren't far away last year from being four and seven they're not far away this year from being about six and two you know, or four and four, even. Uh, you know, if they just won a couple of those games and, and lost the rest, but they're definitely off the roll into Citadel a little bit shorthanded. This year, player targeting? Honestly, no, I, I don't think so. Just from my experience with targeting fouls and that type of thing, and I don't think Nasir had any ill intent, anything else. And if the guy hadn't have already hit the ground as Nasir was hitting him, it probably never would have happened. You know, we had a nice play, stopped him, got him to a fourth down play, and was getting ready to force him to a field goal. And, you know, Nasir plays hard. He's aggressive, and he's trying to do something special. And the way it happened, I can see how uh, he could get there just a little bit late. By letter of the rule, it was targeting. Was there any intent? Did he lead with his head? Anything else? No. But did he hit the guy's face mask and helmet as he went by with his arm and shoulder? Uh, it wasn't like he was trying to bury his shoulder into the guy or anything else. But... By letter of the rule, that is targeting, and I, I expect it to be upheld. Yeah, so should have given more context at the beginning of that that bite. Honestly, no was the first couple of words out of Randy Sanders' mouth. That was in response to, do you think that the conference will overturn that targeting and a steer player won't have to miss the first half of the coming game against Citadel? And that's when he said, honestly, no, because he thinks it was targeting. Just to be honest, I thought it was targeting. Uh, I know that there's a lot of intricacies and loopholes with the rule, but – I saw a guy going to the ground. Yes, he was a runner, uh, and yes, rules change when you're a runner versus when you're a quarterback, and the quarterback takes off, he becomes a runner, but that doesn't mean it's not targeting. Uh, If you go in high on anybody at any place on the field, you can get a penalty to the head, whether it's targeting illegal hands to the face, uh, helmet to helmet, you know, whatever the case may be, unnecessary roughness, Um, and to me, uh, and I agree with Coach Sanders, there was no ill intent there, and was it even that dangerous of a play? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that Chris Oladokun is any worse for wear because of it. He clearly continued. He wasn't having any issues. Now, I think the big part of it was his helmet came off, right? And so whenever... Or, Looks worse or, than it is. Yeah, maybe. or at least it was coming halfway off and he was able to keep it on. I don't remember if it was actually all the way off or if it just slid up on his head. Looks a lot worse. Head maybe banged off the ground a little bit. Um, but letter of the law, letter of the rule, that is targeting and while we may not like the call I certainly don't I don't definitely don't like the timing of it right because you just got the stop um, in the fourth quarter on third and I think it was six uh, and it sets off just a series of events that really were the ball game Um, and you want to talk about you know the last drive for ETSU with the ball slipping out of Trey Mitchell's hands. Obviously, that was truly the end of the game and it was just two knees from Stanford and it was over but uh, you know 15 yard line get two then the penalty Nasir is ejected you also get and I didn't see on the broadcast why Blake Bockrath got the second personal foul penalty was it just arguing the uh, he, call? Had, he had some words but he okay. and he was upset because he felt like two or three times there was a false start on the left tackle mm. and it was a very awkward couple of times I don't know if he's setting or or what it is but whatever it is he was allowed to get away with it and it drew a couple offside penalties and at one time at the goal line, three or four Buccaneers are pointing, wanting to false start, and they still stamp the ball. So I'm sure Blake just feeling like ETSU hadn't gotten many calls, which if you just look at penalties, sure they haven't. doesn't mean that, that they were all wrong. But I think just too much emotion 
uh, coming out of Blake Bockworth at that point. So first and goal at the three, and then two Jack Giles runs for a touchdown. Did you think it was targeting? I know in the broadcast, again, in the moment, it was kind of like 50-50. The guys were very upset about it, Robert and Will Jim McCourt. Right, and and, and the one thing is we did not have uh, the replay. So I I credit uh, you guys back in the studio cutting on the mic and letting Don tell us because we we really did. There was never really an angle in the stadium on the on the jumbotron that they showed from the end zone. They kept showing from the high angle, and they had one kind of low level sideline, but it was from the opposite side. You really couldn't see player come in. You know, you just kind of saw a tackle and player come over the top, and that's it. You couldn't see what was happening. So we didn't really have that angle. I know they've always cautioned in that, and you just have to know. Unfortunately, as a defensive player, if you go in a little late, there's any type of contact to the head at any time. It's the risk you run. They're probably going to throw the flag. Coach Sanders was not upset about it. There was one clarification. The rule used to be the league office could review it. Now that replay is standard in all stadiums, mm. it has already been reviewed and upheld, so the league won't do anything about it. Gotcha. That's something I didn't know till afterwards because I was so used to the league would review everything if it was in the second half. If it's in the first half, nothing can do about it. You've already missed the second half. But if it's in the second half, the league would automatically review it, and not. I don't think they overturned a one of them. So I had zero confidence they were going to. But now knowing that that rule had been updated with replay in there, it has already it has already been reviewed, so it's going to be upheld, and Nasir player is going to miss the first half. In Nasir's defense, a guy's going down. He's competing. And he doesn't mean to hit him in the head, but the guy is literally getting lower and lower as he's sliding in, and so Nasir can only get so low himself, and he's just trying to stop the guy from going anywhere. I, I don't think there was any ill intent. I don't think he meant to hit him in the head at all, quite honestly. He was just trying to make contact so he would be down. Was a little late? Sure. Uh, but I think Nasir would tell you the same thing. Just, what am I supposed to do? You know, I got to touch the guy. You know, I, I, I've got to make sure that he is stopped. Now he's sliding in, so he would have been down anyway. And, you know, once your knee's down, it's not like the NFL, someone has to touch you. I get that. But regardless, uh, I think that Nasir is just trying to, again, just trying to make, make a play. A play. Yep, and that's, and that's the common theme, quote unquote, making a play. And it seems like when guys have tried to make plays this year for ETSU, it's always gone against them. So it's tough to, tough to know what to do. A uh, couple things. I, what we haven't mentioned is just the third quarter. Sanford field positioned ETSU to death. I mean, you can only survive All year so they have long. Been field positioned to death. Certainly seems like it, but in the third quarter, I mean, you you get the ball if you're the Bulldogs out of the locker room and you flip the field, took over in the 25, go down, get a field goal, and then you get the ball, and I believe it was the 43 of ETSU, or sorry, the 43 of Sanford, and then midfield. So you just got no chance for the defense. Now, there was a missed field goal there, so it wasn't nearly as bad of a quarter as it could have been, but they come out of that quarter after being down 14-7. to seven, They're up 17-14. to 14. That's a 30-yard advantage yeah. when you look at it. At your own 43 compared to the uh, the opponent's own 23, it, I mean, it's a 30-some-yard advantage. Yeah. You have to go 30 yards less every single time. Let's not, uh, let's not just skim over this fact. Tyler Idell played a series. He did. Didn't see him again. That, Strange and to see for me. But, I don't know. But here's here's what's funny about that. And, and uh, talked a little bit about it actually on the, the Van Rod, but we were sure. decompressing everything. The first down plays a run. Second down was probably a poor decision to throw to Atkins, who had like a triple team on him. But then he runs a little slip screen to Keith Coffey, who juggles, juggles, and drops. Keith Coffey runs the same exact play later and gains 33 yards. <laughs> if Keith Coffey flips those – does that change the trajectory of what happened the rest of the game for wow. Rodell? And to be honest, the next drive after Rodell was a scoring drive for Mitchell. And then Mitchell honestly threw the ball much better uh, until really the fourth, you know, late fourth quarter where, where he's having to make throws. And he still made some good throws. But he threw the ball much better at the end of the first quarter, into the second, into the third quarter. And so then it was hard to get Rodell back in because Trey was moving the football. They were having success. They were scoring. But if Trey would have struggled again, I think we might have seen Rydell again. I think on the road is always tough to chunk him out there. I expect to see another series or two against the Citadel. I was going to ask, did you think the move was simply to light a fire under Trey, or did you think that Coach Sanders really wanted to see how Rydell had done, and then if that series would have gone better, no, he would have kept was, him he in? was going to play regardless. Uh, I mean, Coach had said that um, to me uh, a lot during the week, that and and – even so much that Rodell came up to me in a team hotel and says, hey, I, I am going to get in this game. Sure, but I, I guess I'm asking the motivation. So if he performs better, 
does he stay out there? Or do you think that was just clever timing? You knew you were going to use Tyler Rydell, but when was it going to be? Do you think the timing there was, I need a lighter fire under Trey Mitchell in this offense? No, I, I, I think if if he would have performed better, he would have stayed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's the, you know, he's rode the hot hand, whether it's Sailors and Holmes. We've seen Sailors have better games and Holmes really not be out there late in the game. Holmes had a better game. We saw him and not much of Sailors late in the game. So I think he, he kind of rides the hot hand. Again, I think if Keith Coffey catches that ball, goes 33 yards, who knows Very how the Tyler Rodell, uh, the mayor, if you will, of Tampa, uh, would have continued in that game or not. But, I, you know, he got four games. I mean, you definitely got to see what he can do. I think we'll see him uh, the, the next couple FCS games for sure. All right, that'll do it for uh, our second segment, J uh, Pros versus J's. Is that yes. right? All right, after this on Sandwich Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Pros. Buckle up for Kobe Kobe Bryant just sucked the gravity out of the target center. What a play. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! In your life have you seen anything like that? In the deep left center from Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow night. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so the impossible has happened. Edmonds hit 42 home runs during the regular season. And we are going to game seven in the National League Championship Series. The band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go the band. The Bears have won. The Bears have won. Versus Jays. I need a shower. As usual, I'm just going to sit back and let Mike uh, just enjoy Mike Gallagher making fun of me in some way or fashion. So so excited. Every year. Every year, every week, every day that we get to do this is a, a glorious one. Spencer Tillman is a former football player I do know this one. in the NFL. Eight seasons for the Houston Oilers, which should tell you how long ago he was in the league. And the San Francisco 49ers, who I'm sure he's very proud of right now, 7-0 after dismantling the Panthers yesterday. I think it was like 51-13. to Um... There's a lot of bad game analysis out there. Would you agree? Yes. I'm not sure that I am as up in arms about this one as some others, but we'll let you decide for yourself. Spencer Tillman, this was, I believe, two games ago with Tim Brando, who I honestly just can't really listen to anymore. But Brando and Tillman, I believe this was a Pac-12 game. I uh, don't remember specifically, but uh, it made me very hungry. Hawkman is in the backfield. J.B. Brown tagged him. Fields, boy, he was in there as well. That was a huge, huge stick. Tim, he was all over him like a hobo in a ham sandwich, man. He was... <laughs> that was a big-time hit. So, a hobo in a ham sandwich. Now, I have heard that saying in the past. Just a lighthearted colloquialism. Colloquialism. Basically, that's saying he's hungry. He's playing out there. He really wanted that ball and now he's not going to eat the football we get it it is a it's not a great comparison or sure. a human okay. he's not going to eat a human right. or a football. i mean i would think that people understand that but there was outrage on twitter i'll just read you a few of them cajun warrior at spicy raw tater yeah on twitter yeah spencer tillman dropping the rare like a hobo on a ham sandwich line in the uwaz game at awful announcing uh jet metcalf or jeff i suppose that's an f Jeff Metcalf, like a hobo on a ham sandwich, and then three question marks. And it gets worse and worse here. J.P. Villanueva, he was all over him like a hobo on a ham sandwich. Color commentary about a hard tackle. I'm not outraged, but it's tacky to make a joke about hungry poor people. That's not what he was doing. He wasn't making a joke about hungry poor people. Uh, At Bron Leah Mishler, who has a chicken, goat, horse, dog, and cat emoji next to her yeah, avatar sure uh, okay we can all agree that in 2019 a pac-12 commentary this is washington arizona by the way um from two weeks ago 
should never say, quote, he was all over him like a hobo on a ham sandwich. And frankly, no one should ever say that again, ever, under any circumstance. I don't get it. Are we that sensitive? Uh, it, it's one thing, if I think, if you're legitimately poking fun at something. Right. I, I just... They're not laughing at the hungry homeless people. You hear them laugh after. Tim Brando and Spencer tell me both. They're not pointing and laughing at homeless people right in front of their faces. If, if the homeless were watching that, would they be like, I can't believe Spencer Tillman. I'm going to the parking lot and waiting for him. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, when you play in NFL, a lot of those guys, especially around Thanksgiving, work a soup kitchen. Yes. I mean, m- most teams do. They hand out food. They go there. You're at a place where, especially down in uh, Houston, you know, where they've had before hurricanes and everything else. I'm just guessing if you go back and look through the history of hurricanes, one happened while Spencer Tillman was there in Houston. My guess is he has done a lot for homelessness than he did by knocking a hobo and a ham sandwich. Just my guess. I don't know that for a fact, but he's just trying to have a little bit of levity to the broadcast, right? I mean, he's just try, like, trying to be creative. Sometimes in sports, it's not serious. And I do admit, there are times people try to throw stuff out there that does end up being in very poor taste. Yes, absolutely. You know, if he would have said uh, he slapped her down like Sally... Okay, got can't it. Can't go there. Absolutely not. Yeah. Not not there. I, I get that. That is something you can't do. I, I think there are several other instances you could say some things that would be very borderline, but I do not in that moment felt like, and it felt like that was off the cuff, not something he had scripted out. It'd be, no. I think it would be another thing if he scripted out and said, okay, I'm going to use these six things today if it happens, which some broadcasters do. Yeah. We know a couple. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but I think, you know, it's it's different if you do it that way as opposed to coming out now. So I, I thought a little bit overreact. Uh, if you want to send it to awful announcing because you just didn't think it was funny, I'm fine with that. There are plenty sure. of people that have said it. But it got worse stuff. and worse. You could see the it progression did. there. The, the hate got in there. And, and, of course, because certain people who probably don't watch sports got a hold of it. Right. That's where it starts to steamroll. It's like when people make a, a joke about animals and all of a sudden Pete and everything starts coming out there. And you're like, okay, people. He really didn't mean. Broadcasting, oftentimes, people use analogies. And people hate all broadcasters. That's, I'm just well, coming that's to a that. good point. Okay, that's true. Uh, so you are, I would think it's safe to say, say. Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Where were you when, uh, you know, our good buddy Kurt Bloom was on, oh, yeah. uh, said that Keith Coffey looked very caffeinated on that play? <laughs> I mean, again, he's having fun and whatever. And of course, he even made the self joke: "Crickets, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna." Okay, we'll just, we'll just follow that one away. I mean, even his own crew didn't even. Okay, say Okay, so anything. what if Keith Coffee is allergic to caffeine? Is that in poor taste then? Like, uh, could be. I mean, he's a diabetic. What are we talking about here? And we are coming from a broadcaster's point of view, and no, we are sensitive. Right, and we're we're about as sensitive probably as the people that took that the wrong way from Spencer Tillman, but. We know that, and I'm not saying woe is us broadcaster. Don't get me wrong, but it sometimes is tough to come up with stuff with stuff on the spot. Like, let's be honest, something it just very uh, similar. One time, I had used the phrase "calling a spade a spade." Mm-hmm. Heard that a lot. Sure, used a lot doing whatever. And there were a couple of emails that that came in. I didn't have Twitter back then. There was a couple of emails that came in. I made a comment that they felt like that was in poor taste and and could have been racist. Interesting. So I sent a message back because I was like, and and it was uh, one of the, it was a fan in Florida, and and he gave me uh, apparently the the word spade and how it was used back in the day, that, uh, something that I'd never heard of. And I said okay, and so I listened to it, made point, and I made a note, and then I also sent back, do you know that the player I made a comment about happened to be white? J- just to say that. Uh, that had nothing to do with the, right. the term. Just to provide some context. Uh, yeah, just to say, look, I, I know you couldn't see it. Listen on radio. It was the opposing team. It wasn't ETSU's team. So maybe that no is why. But then I you know, I was able to, to educate. And I get, like, some of the stuff maybe you didn't know. Now, you know, you, you get to know. I don't think Spencer Tillman in this instant had done anything that would have been uh, there. But uh, the, the amount of hate that comes out of broadcasters, I've always found a, a little <laughs> ridiculous. Matter of fact, I did find during the, I think it was the, ALCS that the one fan sitting behind home plate, I don't know if you saw it, had made a shirt that said Joe Buck sucks. And Joe Buck had actually retweeted and said, hey, I'd like to buy one. And I thought, hey, here you go. I mean, there's a lot of times there's just things that, that, that happen. And trust me, there are plenty before. Now that ESPN3, a lot of the opposing teams don't listen to the home broadcast. But it was a long time there, especially Nason, where a lot of those teams didn't have radio or they would stream the radio call over the video call. Sure. That I got a lot more hate uh, because the opposing team now it's down because you know now 
pretty much the only people who want to listen to me are, are ETSU fans, which is, you know, probably what the broadcast is intended for to begin with. So we don't get it as much, but I used to get a lot more uh, when it was streamed. But it was the odd because I had to do a radio call that happened to be over, you know, the streaming service uh, that you, I would get a lot more than what I'd get now. I think that I agree with one point in this article. In 2019, you do have to watch what you say a lot closer. And maybe analogies like calling a spade a spade or hobo and a ham sandwich is just something that people should take out of the vernacular. But I do think the sensitivity uh, is a bit much. Now, I am glad for you that all of your broadcasts are not happening in 2019 because I was able to dig up some archived footage oh, of some geez. questionable things archived that I think footage? you said. Yes, you can have footage on the radio. Okay. Uh, archive, Nobody's just going to be able to see it. Archive footage. Well, I, footage can be anything. Is that like I didn't but, say you had to watch uh, the By the footage. way, I did, I did enjoy, nobody knows this, but, mm-hmm. you know, we have an internal document that, that helps us through the pregame show. We do yes. all that. And and I do like, um, I can't remember one of the last <laughs> one of the last plays you put in parentheses that uh, we didn't have the reverse angle or what, whatever you put. Do you remember? No, I don't, no, I don't remember. Okay. No, I have no idea. What but, you know, it was one of those where it was uh, you used sort of a video joke about we we didn't uh, not pictured or something like that. You're like, oh yeah, uh, not pictured. I use that all the time. Not yeah. pictured. You know, it's yeah. kind of. I, I, I thought it's it colloquialism. Funny. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, so, needless to say, you're still employed here. Uh, but I think oh, it may be 2008 to 2012, which is I'm guessing when when, when many of these came from. Uh, you may have had a different fate. I think Andy Glenn has a very tight zone. Now, who are you to talk about somebody's zone? I think that is very... He still has a terrible strike zone. I'm just throwing it out there. He has a terrible strike, strike zone. zone. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you took that at totally... That was very shortened from what the, the actual call was. Well, hobo on a ham sandwich. I mean, That was know, not taken out of context. It's very entertaining to me how naked Derek Wall will be at the end of this contest. Why are you trying to picture somebody naked during the game? you got a job to do. So, Derek Wall always starts... All the game, and for fans have been with us for a while. He played at Furman, always hated ETSU, would always make a comment to get the fans brought up, calling them townies. Clearly, you in the paper. Naked. And Derek Waugh, by the usually end of the first half, we had the jacket taken off, then the tie, then the sleeves are rolled up, then we get about three buttons down on the shirt. And the more mad he got, <laughs> the more he undressed. And I was very confused. Like, is he threatening the official that I will literally get naked if you don't start calling better? I don't know. Something you would like I to don't see know. clearly. We stopped him. Uh, last one. He's obviously separated Suck his shoulder. Up. Now, that is just completely unprofessional. That is not me. That's shoulder. clearly your voice. He's obviously separated suck his it shoulder. I mean, what is the Buccaneer Sports Network doing here? So so you're accusing me of, of speaking and yelling suck it up at the same time? He's obviously separated his shoulder. I hear you. I just hear Jay Sandoz. Okay, so that's Steven Leinbarger. <laughs> and the, Who's at the beginning? Well, he's obviously separated. That's a J.C. Endos broadcast right there. It is, it is. And, and, and the, so that's North Florida. I can tell you the exact game. That was, that was North Florida. <laughs> I'll you remember all that. And here's what's even crazy about that. It was, again, the radio call over the stream. So we have a function called Q. Do you want to explain that? you want me to explain that? Basically, in Q, you can talk to people that are on the broadcast, and it doesn't go out publicly. Yeah, you, and some people hear IFB, the internal you know feedback, all that stuff. So uh, internal talkback. All right. So there is a thank you, IFB, whatever terminology. And the student, who was a pure student in the back, thought he was in queue as I was going to break. The guy had actually had two shoulder surgeries oh. and had a shoulder harness. Oh. Now, again, this was back in the day when the studio was in, not even in the dome we played in the dome, it was in Wharf Pickle. And there was no way to, like, much like, but he's yelling, suck it up, over there. The mother of the player was listening. The athletic director of North Florida was listening. And the president of North Florida was listening. I got three emails from all. (laughs) Managed to get the phone number of the player and the mother. I personally apologize. And then banned Steven Lombarger from traveling for the rest of the season. Wow. Now, in fairness, he didn't travel at all, but it uh, <laughs> you're on a tight ship. It, it was, uh, it was, but we did, we did uh, get to talk to him. And the mother, after the fact, was great in the fact that she said, you know, after it was over, and my son was okay, and my my son was not fired up and he wasn't hurt. It said, I understand it was more of kind of boys being boys, but you never know who's listening, which was a great teaching point for the guys in the back who, quite honestly, back in those days, would get in my ear, and if I said anything questionable would just make fun of me uh, unmercifully while I'm still trying to talk and do the game. So people have always said, how can you do some of these things like as, you know, and, and you'll argue with them, but 
I can multitask while people are talking to me. I'm doing other stuff. You argue that I can't, but I'm like, well, that happens a lot during the broadcast back in the day is a lot of people would just continuously talk and make fun of me in my ear or make fun of, like, the opposing team in my ear. That didn't go on on air, and I kept trying to tell them, like, hey, one of these times, like, you're going to forget, and you're going to not be in queue, and That's why I tell guys out. never to do that anymore during right. specifically when you're calling the game. I mean, the, for the most part now, you should only turn on your mic if you have a great stat. Correct. Or and, and that happens a lot. Somebody or I'll be looking for something and can't find it. Somebody will turn on their mic and say, "Hey, this," or to tell me there's an ID, or to remind me about a break. I mean, there's certain things that has to happen during there, or just to say, "Hey, I don't have that." You know, occasionally, like maybe we got a segment coming up, and hey, Pro Tools has crashed. So I mean, there's a lot of times you need to to, to talk in the talents here to tell them certain things. But there's also a lot of times where science is the best. You like that? I knew all that. I'm going to cut up that last part. Science is the best from Jay Sandoz. I'm happy that those broadcasts for your career did not happen in 2019. We'll see after today's pros versus Jays. If tomorrow, now that we're re- revisiting them in 2019, if you do still have a job. I think Andy Glenn has a very tight zone. It's very entertaining to me how naked Derek Wall will be at the end of this contest. Well, he's obviously separated Suck it up. Notice, notice all those clips are 2012 or before. Well, he's, obviously separated Suck it up. Well, he's obviously separated Suck it his up. shoulder. Classic. <laughs> That is also uh, on a bank, and when somebody's in the wrong bank, we've actually led uh, openings to broadcast with that before. <laughs> so that's another story. All right, uh, what do we got? Bold predictions. Uh, the results, if Woo! you can call them that after this, yeah. on Santa's Sidekick, Buccaneers Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m., and if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tighter tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. All right, bold predictions. I don't know why Mike Gallagher's staring at me with that smug look, but I guess he accidentally got one right. Actually, he did get one right, and i got to be honest. Heck of a call. <laughs> and I don't ever – listen, there is Woo! nothing more I want to not do in this world than give Mike Gallagher yeah. credit for anything. But I will give credit where credit's due. It I usually don't, good. but I will here. Uh, I, I want to save that one for the end so we can leave the show on a very positive note for me. Uh, let's first start with my screw-ups. I knew the game was going to change somewhere in Sanford and ETSU. I thought it might be penalty yardage. I've been waiting for the Bucks to kind of stop the mistakes. I think I actually predicted less penalty yardage or like three penalties or less once earlier in the year, and they ended up having like seven or eight, and I once again went to the well and unfortunately was incorrect. Less penalty yardage for ETSU, who are penalized most in the league, coming into the contest against Sanford. Then Sanford, who were penalized the least in the league, and it is much talked about. We have already mentioned it on the show today, and there are some people that are upset on the social media platforms that follow ETSU as well about Sanford not being penalized once. Boy, did I fall on my face on that one. Once, the entire contest, six penalties for 63 yards for ETSU. So clearly, I did not get that correct. You were pointing out, I think very smartly so, that Sanford was second to last in the league in rushing defense, 275 yards allowed per game. So ETSU didn't even have to meet the amount that Sanford was averaging giving up per game for you to be right with your bold prediction. 250-plus rushing yards for the Bucks. 
but they did not approach that. Just 2.9 yards per carry, 32 carries for 93 yards. And if you take out the 41-yard run by Quay Holmes in which he almost shrugged off the entire Sanford team and got into the end zone. Now, if he does that, do you think that is a top 10 play? Do you think that makes the top 10? We were I think ar- it might have. They were already trying to cut it up and send it, uh, thinking that it might have gotten at least a look. Uh, I think so. When you break six six guys, tackle, get and down there an and stick the ball in the It end was zone. like six. The other thing is I saw the replay again. I don't know how in the world unless there was – and sometimes there are different angles that the replay have that the broadcast doesn't. But watching it again today, it was funny to hear the Sanford uh, TV crew, which I thought did a fairly good job of just, you know, kind of ho-humming it down the middle. But they were adamant that you could see the foot out at the three. Uh, And I just didn't see it out at the three. I mean, if he was going to be out, it would have been the three. Because that was the one place that it could have gone out, but I just didn't see where they were like, oh, yeah, there it is. He's out. Now, He's out, the call on the field was that he was out. I had no problem with them sticking with that, but I didn't think there was anything conclusive either way. If he was ruled in, I thought you would have had to keep with that ruling, too. Well, and then the other thing was, I, I, the one thing is they were like, yeah, well, he was out at the three, so the ball should be at the two and a half because that's where the ball was, but then the ball got moved back to the three. So it was a little bit huh. com- com- confusing thing there but either way if it would have been yes i think it would have been a top 10 play Needless and then he scored on the second down he scored like twice on that or yeah. scored on the first down and then play. trey mitchell got the touchdown and the actual second. touchdown stole a touchdown uh, i had iowa getting upset by northwestern and northwestern was shut out didn't score a point i didn't even look to see how many total well, yards it, northwestern it, had. but in fairness you immediately backtracked with like i think northwestern only does that on the road <laughs> like yeah. you are backtracking so pretty I did, quickly i did say that this would go wrong if it just turns out that northwestern for whatever reason is a better road team yeah. than home team but the reason for that is because northwestern never shows yeah, up. yeah you home. nailed it <laughs> that's right they never show up at home no, 20 no, to nothing not, not as bad as this one you're about to read uh, Wofford by 20. Didn't happen. Wofford by 20 points over Chattanooga, said Jay Sandoz. Got lucky. Did you see the end? I did not see the ending. You also said Joe Newman would have four touchdowns. I didn't see his final line either, but needless to say, one half was way wrong. I, this I, game went to overtime. I, I did not even look at Joe's stat line because of the score. We were just told right at the end of our broadcast that, hey, uh, basically I got a message that, holy cow, the the end of the Wofford game, and I text back what happened. He said, chat drop. Reginald Henderson had the ball hit in his hands with really no black jerseys around and dropped the two-point try to win the game. Oh. Dropped the two-point try. Chattanooga should still be undefeated oh. and in the leader way in the clubhouse. And because of that, now everything's thrown upside down. And we'll see if you can recover from that because Tiano did a great job, Nick Tiano, to get out of the pocket. He waits. Henderson waves. And actually, it's funny. He had two white jerseys for the, the visiting Chattanooga Mocs that were wide open. Henderson kind of cut in front, and he's he had a great game. You remember he had a couple, like, one-handed catches against ETSU. Dropped the wide open one for two. Wofford 4-1. and one, Furman 4-1. and one, Chattanooga 3-1. and one, A quote-unquote quasi three-way tie at the top. One loss apiece. Chattanooga, of course, one game behind. Wofford and Furman, who are officially tied for the league lead. Wofford has won four in a row. Second longest winning streak in the league. Citadel, who ETSU plays on Saturday for homecoming at 3, 32 o'clock pregame in the Buccaneer Sports Network. They have won three in a row. Uh, Giants over Lions. Good call by you. Uh, it wasn't that bad. Uh, I mean, it's a one-touchdown game. So, Giants gave it a go. To give credit to the Lions for not laying an egg like I thought they would defensively, but uh, they hung on for a five-point win. Well, they had a really good offensive day, too. Matthew Stafford, 342 yards and three touchdowns. I think defensively they were kind of, eh. So you kind of hit that one a little bit, but no points are awarded. Well, I mean, if you were playing the old, uh, cover the old Vegas. Oh, yeah. I can't hear you over Kramer. Just That's when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. Well, okay. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. Some of your emotions may have come into that, though. You don't like Chad. Well, that's fair. Joe Newman did have three touchdowns, by the way. All uh, rushing. Didn't throw for a touchdown, but did have three rushing. Well, I thought he'd throw one run for three if you all know the truth. Uh, but, again, I also had them winning by 20, and they won by one. Here's so. the truth. You suck. You're not 2-21. <laughs> uh, for me, the one that was right, and I do feel very brilliant, I was – it was a question, but I'm just taking it as a statement from one of our fans, Ben Parrish, uh, loyal, diehard ETSU fan, asked – or let's just say he said that I was the smartest man alive – as we were winding down last night in the Houston game, they were up four to nothing and ended up blowing out. Uh, who was it? Who are they playing? Washington. Yeah, Good thing I know. Can uh, can I counter this when you're done? <laughs> well, I, I'm just gonna keep. I just want to. Re- I, I just want to read your 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 record on bowl prediction I before said, it gives you too much. Credit. I said that three wins in a row would come for the Astros in Washington, 
And as it turns out, I have predicted history because there have only been two other times in the World Series Huge. over the life of it that you've had the first five games go for the away team, 1906, 1996, and now 2019. A bold predict prediction, correct? I am the smartest man alive! Yes, indeed. You're a genius. You better believe it. He is the smartest man in the universe. Woo! I am the smartest man alive! There's the answer to that question. Uh, Adam Sandler, you tell him. I am the smartest man alive! Eat that, Sandos. Fourth bold prediction, correct. I am now doubling you up. You have two correct. I'm not responding. Are you still staring at me? I figured you. Were. Three straight wins by the Astros on the road. They're up three to two now. I would just like to Ben. I would like. Uh, could you read your total record again? I have four wins. Uh, uh, and what, what was the losses? I I don't know. I seem like kind of a. What what, what, what what are you batting? One eleven? No no no. It's more than that. Let's see. I'd be four for twenty three. Almost two hundred. Almost. Yeah, yeah almost two. Nah, not really. Not, like one eighty something. I, I would say that Fear again. Again 21. to call three. Road games. Thank you. Because I, I would have got two out of three. I would have probably said, okay, that's still probably both. But you went three for three. I just went Good back call. to the when Good the call. Astros got Zach Greinke, I was like, okay, they're the best team in baseball. They are winning the World Series. You can't back off that take. you got to have some perspective and think back. All right, we're going to talk to Luke Morrow Wednesday. What else are we going to talk? Uh, top 25, right? Top 25. FCS Top 25. We'll hear from Randy Sanders from his Monday press conference, which we are on our way to right now. All right. Sanders sidekick Wednesday. Bucket Air Sports Network. Cowboy up and go play ball. See ya.